Well, good morning, and uh, great to celebrate Good Friday. We're celebrating Jesus today. That's the best thing to celebrate. Um, it's a privilege, and thanks to West Park Church and to all of you for inviting me this morning. just want to share some thoughts on the relationship between Good Friday and the Passover service, actually what we're celebrating this weekend. We're celebrating actually Passover. In fact, in Greek, they call it Pascha, which is Passover. And in uh, Aramaic, I mean, Amharic, sorry, uh, it's Fasika. And so actually, you can use interchangeably Easter or Passover uh, with this celebration. Um, I love what Jesus said in Matthew 5.17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I grew up in a Jewish home, and as far as I was concerned, you know, uh, the Jews, we don't believe that Jesus was our Messiah, so I didn't think at all about becoming a Christian, at all. Like, it wouldn't even cross my mind. I went five years to a Jewish day school. I studied the traditions under a rabbi. And so you have to understand that this was far as east is from the west for me. I mean, it had no connection to me. And my dad said, Jesus is for the Gentiles and for the Jews we're waiting for our Messiah. So that's, so uh, people have said to me, so how did you being a Jew uh, reared in the Jewish culture, you know, had my bar mitzvah ever become a Christian? Well, Romans chapter 10 actually, uh, Romans 11 actually answers that. He says that God has called the Gentile Christians to provoke the Jews to jealousy. So it's like this, you got my God and I want him back. <laughs> we actually serve the same God, it is, there's only one God. But the key here is Jesus Christ. And he is the Messiah of both Jews and Gentiles. I didn't know about that. It's literally 47 years, and I remember the date, May 3rd, 1976, that I accepted Christ. And a friend of my brother's uh, shared the Lord, excuse me, with me. And I remember that night, as clear as day, that he shared Christ, and I knew, you talk about the scales falling from your eyes. Remember the conversion of Paul, the scales, well the scales fell when he shared Christ with me. And I would go to the synagogue and pray, looking for God and praying and seeking God and finding nothing, hearing nothing. And that night when he says, you will never be good enough, it's by grace alone, because I've been trying. You know, it's like digging yourself out of a hole. The harder you try, the worse it gets. But it's grace, and it's the grace of the Lord Jesus. And that's what I'm here to share with you this wonderful weekend. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. He fulfilled the Passover. He fulfilled everything. You know, in three ways, Christ fulfilled the law. The first way that he fulfilled the law is it was all about him. He, it was all prophesied. You know that he fulfilled over 300 direct prophecies, his birthplace, his uh, crucifixion, his death and resurrection. It's all fulfilled uh, his deity, his Davidic lineage, like there's so much information about the fulfillment of Christ. Uh, so in the first sense, uh, he fulfilled it uh, prophetically. He fulfilled the word. The second sense he fulfilled the law is he lived the perfect life. 
Like he, he literally fulfilled it. He lived the life that we couldn't live. And he's done something wonderful. He lived the life that we couldn't live so that by his death and the regeneration, he could live within us so by his spirit we can live the life with him through us. That's the message of the new birth and it's based on grace. It's not works, we can't earn it. And the third thing is every type and shadow. It's all about Jesus. All the holidays, we'll look this morning at Passover specifically, you know it's all about Christ. He was our high priest and our sacrifice. He was the tabernacle. When you read the Old Testament, it's about him, and it's all about him, and it points to him. And I know that uh, some people look at me and say, you're Jewish and you believe in Jesus, and I do get the odd kind of funny look, I'm not going to lie. You know, people just don't quite get it. I remember one person said to me, I no longer consider you Jewish. And so I said that, well, you got some nice Gentile friends you never knew you had. <laughs> and I said, so why did God call the Jewish people anyways? What's the purpose? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, how do you know I'm not it then? But it raises a bigger question. Why did call the Jewish people? And I'll tell you why. Do you know why God chose the Jewish people? Because he loves the Gentiles. It says, God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, through you and your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So be here this morning. I'm so proud to see so many nationalities. God loves everybody. God loves the world. And he did it through a nation, and through that nation, he chose Jesus, and through Jesus, he opened the door to salvation so that all could come in. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you who were once separated, far off, Gentiles after the flesh, are now brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that wonderful news this morning? And God is still in the business of bringing Jewish people to faith. We just got back from Israel this week. And the church of Jesus Christ among the Jewish brethren in Israel about 40 years ago was maybe a few hundred people. In fact, my son-in-law's father and mother were, were among those few hundred people. My uh, son-in-law's father got saved in the 70s when there was a handful of Jewish people. Now there's about 30,000 they're figuring. The kingdom, God's faithful to his covenant. But God's purpose is redemption through Christ to all mankind through his grace. And so as we come this morning and we're looking at uh, celebrating Good Friday and seeing how Christ has fulfilled the Passover, um, it's, it's a wonderful reflection of our redemption because it's personal for us, isn't it? We personally can receive it. It's not a theory. It's not just a good idea. It is personal. God wants a relationship with everyone. He's opened the door of salvation through Christ to all of us. Do you know that there's seven feasts of the Lord in the Bible, and the Bible calls them the seven feasts? Uh, what we call the Passover actually is three feasts. Did you know that? It's not just, it's Passover, the shedding of the blood. Then there's the festival of the unleavened bread, which we have here. It's part of the Passover. And then the last on the Sunday, it's called Yom Bikurim, the feast of the first fruits. And those little grains, it was, a, it was a harvest holiday, and those little grains that were coming up out of the ground were literally harvested and they were made as an offering to the Lord. And so as we're talking about Passover, we're gonna look at these things and see how they're fulfilled in Christ. Uh, then there was the feast of Pentecost, Shavuot. That was also a harvest festival. And that's when the church was born. You see, these feasts are prophetic. They're instruction to our Redemption as well. So they were feasts of Israel that were given and they represent the historical exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt. 
but they also are uh, part of the cycle of the harvest where they were worshiping God through the harvest. And so the Feast of Pentecost, and that's when the church was born. Interestingly enough, according to Jewish tradition, it was at the Feast of Pentecost that God gave the Jewish people the law in the wilderness. But we get the spirit in the New Testament. You see the parallel. There's a prophetic sense of fulfillment. And then there's the fall feasts. What we call Rosh Hashanah is actually Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, followed by Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement or the Day of Judgment, followed by the Feast of uh, Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And those are prophetic to the future that have not yet been fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. There'll be the judgments, then the day of judgment, the second coming of Christ where God judges the nations, and then the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, and that'll be the Feast of Trumpet Tabernacles. Anyways, we're focusing this today on the Feast of uh, Passover. So there is actually an application for us for the Feast of Passover. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 5 through 8. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore keep the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what Paul is saying here is there's an application for each of us. So he's using the Passover uh, celebration as a picture of what Christ has done for us. Christ has been sacrificed for us. So let us keep the feast. But we're not keeping it in a Jewish religious context or a rabbinical context. It's a living message. He has made all of us living message. So as Christ is our sacrifice. He has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. We now can put on Christ and let his life, represented by the unleavened bread, leaven representing sin, of course, but we get to live. His life now dwells in you. So let's be consistent with that message of Christ's life in us as we live out that life and purge the leaven, purge sin. Don't let sin be allowed to rule in our bodies. We will battle sin all our life. You know that. We're not perfect yet. But Christ lives within us and he gives us the power to overcome sin. And so Paul's giving us this application here. And what the Bible shows us that we're external in the Old Testament now becomes a spiritual internal reality for us who are in the new covenant. I like what it says and it prophesies in Jeremiah 31 31 to 34, he says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write my law on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares, their, declares the Lord. And this is why we will know the Lord. And he tells us, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's what happens in the new covenant. What God expected and described to the Jewish people, you have to keep these laws, you have to live by the Ten Commandments. 
God says, it didn't work. You broke the covenant, but I got a new covenant. I'm going to deal with the source of the problem. So your problem isn't your behavior. Your problem is your nature. You sin because you're a sinner because you were born separate from God. And the law actually shows us that we need a savior. The the law is not a ladder to God. It's a mirror. It reflects our sin. Paul says that the law was added for transgressions. But what we really need is we need a savior. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's why he is our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for us. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And by sending Christ as a Passover lamb, it's a prophetic picture of what God did years ago for the Jewish people. They were enslaved for 400 years. Can you imagine slavery for 400 years? They were living in misery and in bondage. And that's what sin does. And Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. You know, this kingdom is the kingdom of darkness the Bible describes, but says you are now children of light. You are delivered from darkness into light. And that's that same picture of deliverance that God delivered the Jewish people from happens to us personally and individually through Christ, our sacrifice, our Passover lamb. And we can experience that as we come into this new covenant because he remembers our sins. He deals with the problem. He changes us from the inside out. You see, our favorite behavior is only a reflection of the deeper problem we have. That's why when I was trying to be a good Jewish boy and try harder, I just got worse because you can't fix yourself. But God did something for you, represented today by Good Friday, that you could never do. He died for your sin. He paid the price, and it's by his grace, not by your effort. You'll never earn God's approval. You'll never earn God's love. I'm very thankful that I don't have to earn it, but I'm very appreciative of it, and I don't take it for granted. It is the greatest treasure on earth. It's the most precious thing to know Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know God is available. God is real. Let's take a look at this this wonderful deliverance. I'm going to read from the book of Exodus starting 12, starting in verse 1. This is the night. Can you imagine? 400 years in slavery, God sends a deliverer. And this is the night. This is going to be the night that you're going to go from being part of the house of bondage to a free person. Isn't that an amazing thought? Can you imagine? So when, when every year when we celebrate the Passover as Jewish people, you know, we were always told if our, if our ancestors wouldn't be freed, we wouldn't be freed. Isn't that an amazing thought? It's important to remember. So it's important when we do communion. Communion is Passover. Every time you do communion, you are celebrating the wonderful event of the redemption of Christ. Isn't that an awesome thing? Listen to this story and try and picture, if you can, for a moment, that you were in bondage for, like these people, for 400 years. Can you, you don't know anything about bondage. This is what, let's start this story. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, 
roasted with fire, with unleavened bread, bitter herbs they shall eat it. You shall not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its heads, its legs, and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And this shall be the sign that on the houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you, and I will strike the land of Egypt. So let's take this story for a moment and see, let's unpack it a little bit and let's see how we can understand it for ourselves. So this, these people were slaves and like I said, we have been slaves to sin. There's a direct relationship to their slavery and our slavery before we were in Christ. When you were a slave to sin before you came to Christ, there was nothing you could do in your own power to free you. It was impossible. Somebody greater, a redeemer like Moses, and God prophesied in Deuteronomy 13, I will raise up uh, a prophet like Moses. And he was. Jesus was like Moses. He brought in a new covenant, and he was our redeemer that brought us out of sin. And it's interesting. Did you notice there that it says, I will execute uh, uh, on the firstborn of Egypt and against all the gods of Egypt? Did you know that those 10 plagues were specifically judgments against the gods of Egypt. I did a study on it. I won't do it this morning, I promise you. Uh, but they worship the Nile. That's why they were in denial. Right? Oh, forget it. <laughs> uh, and, and so they worship the Nile. It turned to blood. You see, everything that you worship, everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. You were a slave to something in your life before you know Christ. Something's God. Put, instead of the word worship, take the word worship out. What's first place in your life? Is it your occupation? Is it your family? Is it yourself? Those are idols. But the thing that you worship that's not God will always bring misery and judgment on you. Alcoholism is only a spiritual symptom of worshiping something to bring you comfort and relief that you put your hope in. It's, it dulls the pain. The same thing with drugs or sex or anything that you put first in your life or the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I'm a Maple Leaf fan and it's okay to enjoy sports okay just not, but we don't worship it anything that you worship other than God and you everybody worships something so it's interesting so if you go through do you know they used to worship beauty and they they turned to boils every one of those things and the firstborn they worship the firstborn that Pharaoh was God on earth do you know that he was the light God and it's his son. And the firstborn son would have been the next Pharaoh, which, would have been, which was a deity. And what did God do? He substituted his firstborn son. The Passover lamb is the only way that they could have been saved. There's nothing they could do. There's no self-effort. This was a provision by God that God made. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Sunday the Palm Sunday, and they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they, they put their palm branches down, and then he stood before Pilate, and Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with this man, and he washed his hands. That was a clean lamb that was ready to be prepared for sacrifice. You know, when I went to Jewish day school, the rabbi taught us that Yom Kippur, or covering, 
that God could cover your sins, but he didn't remove the sins. He covered the sins so he could look at you, but the sin wasn't removed. But John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ, our Passover Lamb. Hallelujah, that's a good shout, eh? Praise the Lord. Christ fulfilled what we could not fulfill ourselves. And look at, uh, if you were Jewish and you lived in Egypt and you didn't have the blood on the doorposts, it was as good as, as if you weren't Jewish. You see, it wasn't their Jewishness that brought the redemption. It was the blood of the lamb. And if you were not Jewish and you went into that Jewish home and there was blood on the doorposts, you were saved as well. You know, many Egyptians came out. They called them the mixed multitude. They came out with the Jewish people because they feared God. It's not your birth that determines your destiny. It's your rebirth through Christ. And when they put that, it's very interesting, specifically mentions something that the blood had to be dipped in hyssop. By the way, do you know hyssop is a, a common plant in Israel and it grows out of the walls. It's a little bush. And it, the word means uh, diminutive, small, almost insignificant. And it represents humility. And it's through humility that the Father applies the blood to the doorposts of our heart. And, the, and it actually forms a Hebrew letter. It says on the two side posts and the top posts, they put the blood. And that's where we get our word. You ever heard the word chayim? That means life. Lachayim, to life. And God applies the blood and puts life over us. As we humble ourselves, it's the Father that applies the Son's blood so that we could find redemption and the angel of death passes over us. And it gives really things. It says it had to be roasted in fire, the heads, the legs, and the entrails. That was what Christ offered. His mind, his will, meaning the legs, and his emotions were roasted. That's the sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered for us so that we could, and when we take communion, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not part of me. And many people were offended. But you know, they had to eat of the sacrifice. We partake. When we're doing communion, it's a picture of what we're doing this morning. It's a picture of what the Jewish people did when they came out of Egypt. That's this wonderful sacrifice. And he says, you won't let it remain until morning. Jesus was buried. So this Passover was three festivals. It was the, the blood of the lamb. That was the feast of, uh, of matzah, unleavened bread. And then the Yom Bikurim is the resurrection, those first fruits. Jesus was the first fruits. You know, there's a reference to it in Matthew chapter 27. It says, when Jesus rose from the dead, it's the only reference in all the gospels. It says, other dead saints were also risen and went into the city and were seen by many. Didn't you ever think that was a strange thing? Does anybody remember that one little funny thing? And it never explains it. It's a reference to the festival of first fruits because in him, we will have resurrection. Others were raised with him saying, this is the fulfillment of the Yom Bikurim. It's that Passover week. And because Christ was raised from the dead, we also will be raised in him. It's a promise. And it's not based on our works. It's based on a relationship. And so, uh, it's, they also said something, that we are uh, to be ready with a staff in our hand and have your feet, your shoes on. You got it ready to go. You see, Egypt represents the world. The moment you receive Christ, the moment you receive Christ, a miracle happens. Your old nature, that sinful nature that you inherit in Adam is put to death. The Bible says my old man is crucified with Christ. And you are a new creation. Uh, behold, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. That's your identity. 
That's your identity. When you come to Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You can't be. You're not a slave and a free man at the same time. You are your new identity as a creature in Christ. It's represented by what they were. Get ready to go. We're crossing over. We're getting out of here. We're no longer slaves. We are new creations in Christ. And that's what is so wonderful. Look what Paul says in Colossians 1, 12, and 13. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That happens. That's your new identity. Get a hold of who you are. Now, it took them 40 years in the wilderness to figure out their new identity because they kept wanting to go back from Egypt. They never did go back. You never undo what God does. But he wants us to grow. And there's a pattern of growth there. I won't get into, And those festivals represent our pattern of spiritual growth. Egypt being the world. The wilderness being the place where we, uh, God gets the world out of us. You know? And then the promised land is actually not heaven. It's spiritual maturity. It's the fruit of the spirit. In Egypt we found faith. In the wilderness we find hope. Because you need hope in the wilderness. Have you ever been through? I've been through the wilderness. It's not fun. But it's part of God's plan to uh, purge us and to walk, make us walk in maturity and dependence on him. So he becomes the source. And the promised land is the place of fruitfulness. In the world, we ate the leeks and onions. We ate the things of the world. In the wilderness, we feed on God's word. Man can't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in the promised land, we feed others with the fruit of the spirit. Faith, hope, and love. That's the pattern of our Christian growth. And so this weekend, as we celebrate the wonderful thing that God did, he delivered us from this darkness into the kingdom of light. Isn't that fantastic news? And it's available to everybody. There's one little Jewish tradition that I love to talk about. This is a Jewish tradition. It's not biblical. But at the Passover Seder, where they're commemorating their redemption from Egypt, there is the, the, the treat of the Abacoman. Obviously, we have the, the wine, and it's from a silver cup. Silver in the Bible represents redemption, so we've been redeemed. And there's four cups of wine that are, that are drank. And at the beginning of the service, this is called the afikoman. There are three pieces of matzah. Can you see these three pieces of matzah? And um, the middle one is broken. It's put back in there, and it's wrapped in a white linen cloth and the father of the house hides it he hides it somewhere and at the end of the meal the children are supposed to find it and the child that finds the afikoman is given a reward I remember asking an orthodox rabbi what is the the meaning of the afikoman he says we're not sure <laughs> but he says we think it either represents the high priest or it represents the korban pesach the Passover offering. And without realizing it, it actually represents both. What is, my friend Michael Greenberg here, it was during a Passover Seder, and he'd done Passovers all his life from the time he was an infant. And he remembers, and people tried to share Jesus with him, and he just didn't get it. And they brought out the Passover matzah. And he looked at it and he goes, it's pierced, it's striped, and it's bruised. And he saw Jesus. And that night he accepted Jesus in 1995, March. Welcome, Michael. It's good to have you with us. As Michael said, it was hidden in plain view. 
It's, it's there. And it's faith that turns the key to seeing Christ. And so, how do we apply this today? I think this is a wonderful picture. The three matzahs are Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. The middle matzah is broken. That's Christ. He was placed in a white shroud and he was buried in a cave. But three days later, he was raised from the dead and all that was left was the white garments. And the Bible says, unless you come as little children, you will know why I see him. We come to Christ with simple, childlike faith and there's a great reward. This morning, I'd like to invite anybody who's never received Jesus, if, if your heart's been touched, if you'd like to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, what a wonderful time it is. You don't have to put your hand up. This is between you and God. We're not gonna embarrass anybody. It's very personal. But if you'd like to, a simple prayer of faith. Now, I have to say, there's three things that you will need to do. You gotta be willing to believe it. You don't have to have perfect faith. Nobody has perfect faith. You just gotta say yes to God. The second thing is, you can't do it under compulsion. No one's gonna force you to do it. This has gotta be your own choice. And, you know, through, like, open your heart. That's all you have to do. It's not complicated, but if, if you'd like to, I'm gonna pray a simple little prayer. I'm gonna invite you to pray. You don't have to pray it out loud, and you don't need to tell anybody afterwards. This is between you and God. If it's real, you'll know. May we pray? May we just bow our heads in prayer and open our hearts to Jesus. Thank you, Lord that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that those who are out there would just open their hearts. And you can pray this prayer with me in your heart if you're ready and you would like to do it. And if you're not, please don't pray it. Uh, This is between you and God. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life. Thank you for him dying on the cross for my sins, for being my Passover lamb, sacrificed for me. And I ask on the basis of what he did, that you would forgive all my sins. I can't fix myself, but I choose to surrender. I humble myself before you and ask you to come forgive my sins, and I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.